together where we turn to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. We've been in this passage now for the last two weeks. We'll be there for this week and next week as we'll take us through the Christmas season. But Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to focus again today on verse 6 and these names for Jesus given to us there. Isaiah says, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They're in the back room here. There we go. Trust me, you want me to have this. It's a lot of back and forth with the, all the people up on the platform here, but that's all right. We appreciate all that they do. Well, as I've mentioned a couple of times already, we've been looking at this uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 9 and these different names for Jesus and what they tell us about Jesus and what he has done. And this is actually kind of a bit of a break for us from Riverview because our typical pattern, if maybe you're new here at Riverview, our typical pattern is to preach through the Bible verse by verse and to see what it has to say. And in this Christmas season, we've, we've obviously done something a little different looking at these different names for Jesus. But if you have your Bible with you this morning, you could open it to Isaiah chapter uh, 9, or you could also, or and you could also open it to Hebrews chapter 7, and also Matthew chapter 7 as well, if you would like to follow along in your Bible. Those are some places that will be today. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 9, also Hebrews 7, and Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the name this week, Everlasting Father. And you know, everything ultimately wears out, right? Everything in the world is subject to the laws of physics and is ultimately going to wear out. It's going to rust, it's going to de decay, or whatever the case may be. There is nothing on this earth that does not have a shelf life, whether living or non-living. Everything wears out or dies and eventually becomes the dust, Although, if you listen to you know, marketing and commercials, everybody who makes a product is trying to convince you that their product is never going to wear out. It's going to last forever. What does the Energizer Bunny do? He keeps going and going and going and going. He's never going to, he's never going to run out. Well, yes, he is. There's even a, a brand of car batteries called Everlast Batteries to make you think by their name that the battery will never run out. It's going to last forever, but that's just not true. From carpet to car tires, everyone's trying to convince you that their product will be the one that lasts the longest, but nothing lasts forever. Everything always comes to an end. But that's in contrast to this third name for Jesus that we're going to be looking at this morning of Everlasting Father. Now those are two distinct and unique titles given to Jesus Christ, and we want to take a look at them today for a few minutes but first, remember the context of when Isaiah writes this prophecy of a son being born and a child is given who will bear these different names. Do you remember Israel is facing at this time, they are facing almost certain destruction by the Assyrians. And actually, just a short time after Isaiah writes these words, Israel will be conquered and they will be led away into captivity for decades of captivity by the Assyrians. And as we noted a couple of weeks ago, this prophecy that Isaiah gives was actually about 700 years before the birth of Christ. 
So even though they had just been conquered by the Assyrians and carried off into captivity, the Israelites could know that God was not done with them. Not by a long shot, right? He's going to send them a Messiah who is going to be to them a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and an everlasting father. So Isaiah's words here in chapter 9 are meant to give the Israelites hope. I mean, hope as they're about to enter the most dire circumstances they could ever imagine, right? How easy it would it have been to fall into hopelessness and despair knowing that they're about to be carried off by the Assyrians. But Isaiah says here, no, there is hope in the future because God is going to send you a son and he is going to be to you these four different names. And so our goal for today is going to be to see how Jesus, the Messiah, as an everlasting father, brings his people comfort and hope. Now, the first word of this title, everlasting, is meant to tell you that this Messiah, Jesus, is eternal. That is, he has no beginning and no end. And the Bible clearly teaches us this in John 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God, and as such, he has existed and will exist for all eternity. Again, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's trying to explain to them that he is God. And this is what he says to them in John 8, 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus says that Abraham was looking forward to that day when Jesus would come, and then he sought from heaven, of course, and he was glad. And the Jews are saying, Ha, you aren't even 50 years old, but you're talking like you know Abraham. And guess what? Abraham lived centuries and centuries ago. And Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I'm a lot older than 50. In other words, I don't have an age. And in saying this, Jesus states that he is God and that as God, he is eternal. He is everlasting. Again, Colossians 1 says that everything in the universe was created through, by, and for Jesus. Jesus is the eternal creator of the universe. And this is what Isaiah is saying to his readers 700 years before the birth of Christ. When the Messiah comes, he will be an everlasting Messiah. He won't just be a Messiah to the people who are there when he comes and lead those people to victory and deliverance. No, he will be a Messiah to all people throughout all time. Now, why is it important that the Messiah, the son that is given, be an everlasting Messiah? Well, two reasons, I think, one of which we've already covered. Since the Messiah is everlasting, it means that he is God. That's an important thing to understand. Our Messiah is God himself. And this is what Pastor Levi talked about last week as he looked at the name Mighty God. Jesus is God. And as God, eternality is just a part of who he is. But moreover, the eternal nature of the Messiah means that he will always be able to help and serve his people. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament of the Bible at all, you'll know that Israel worshiped God under a sacrificial system where offerings and sacrifices were given to God to atone for sins and to thank God and to worship God and so on. And that system 
was presided over by the priests. The priests would offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people. In fact, God himself set the priests aside and he said, you're going to be different from everybody else. I'm going to make you holy for this purpose so that you will serve as priests to me, the the mediator between the people and me. You'll come before me on their behalf. And so he ordained these priests And if an average person wanted to go before God to worship God or present a sin offering, he had to go through a priest. He couldn't just go himself. He had to bring his offering to the tabernacle or to the temple, give it to the priest. The priest was the one who did all of the, you know, the deeds, everything that was necessary to offer that sacrifice formally and officially. But what happens if the day that you go to bring your sacrifice to the temple, it's really busy? Maybe like, you know, Black Friday shopping or something where you have lines running out the doors and around the block. What if you went to the temple to bring your sacrifice, your sin offering to the Lord, and there's a line? And there's a really, really long line. I mean, after all, the priest could only accommodate so many sacrifices at a single time. And what happens if the priest has been working all day and, well, it's five o'clock, my shift is over, and he goes off duty? What happens if he's too tired or too busy with other work to get to your sacrifice? Or what happens if the priest gets sick and he can't perform his duties? What happens if the priest even dies? What do we do then? How do we come before God if the priest is dead? How do we worship God? How do I bring my prayers to God? How do I talk to God if I can't go to the priest first? Then who's going to offer my sacrifices Who's going to go before God to plead for his mercy for me? Now, the book of Hebrews acknowledges this problem. And if you have your Bible open to Hebrews 7, take a look at verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Listen, priests were just human beings. They had a shelf life, right? An expiration date, as we all do. And when that date came, they died. And they were no longer able to intercede on behalf of the people before God. So the way God dealt with this problem was to have many priests over the people of Israel. So if one of them couldn't perform his duties for whatever reason, there were backups. There were others who could stand in the gap between God and his people. Even when one of the priests died, there were others to take his place and go before God. But the book of Hebrews tells us about another priest who is not limited by death. Look again at verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, Jesus is not limited in the way that the other priests are limited. They're limited by time, right? They can only go before God on behalf of the people for as long as they live. But Jesus is the everlasting priest. He always lives to make intercession for us. So we don't need another priest because our priest is everlasting. He's always there before God, making intercession on behalf of his people, and he will be there before God for the rest of eternity 
making intercession on behalf of his people. That is such a glorious truth. He is alive and he will live forever to intercede on our behalf before God. Now, do you know what that means? That means that there is no time, there will never be a time in which Jesus is not able to help and intercede for you on your behalf. Hebrews 7.25 that says that since our priest continues forever, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. There is no reason why Jesus cannot help you and save you. He always lives. That means he's always present. He is always available. He's always watching. He's always able. He's always capable to care for you in every way. He never gets sick or tired. He never runs out of energy. He never runs out of resources. He is the everlasting priest. Now again, put your, try to put yourself in the shoes of those Israelite exiles right before they go into exile. Think of the comfort that must have, must have brought to them as they were getting tramped off to Assyria. A king is coming who is everlasting. He will always be there for us. You know, I don't know how long this captivity is going to last, but what I do know is that when it ends, Jesus will be there. I might not even see this, this cat, the end of this captivity, but Jesus will be there too. And for my children who will see the end of this captivity, he'll be there for them because he's an everlasting father. Imagine the comfort that those Israelites must have had even as they stared down the barrel of that very, very difficult time in their lives. Now, friends, those of us in Christ have that same assurance today, an everlasting king who is intimately aware of our needs and more than able to respond when we call. This is who we celebrate at Christmas, the everlasting Savior. And then, of course, the second word of this name is father everlasting father now i think right away we need to clear something up here because we as bible believing christians believe in a triune god in other words we believe in the trinity we believe that god the father god the son and god the holy spirit they are each distinct and separate persons yet they are one god in other words the father is not the son nor the son the father nor the spirit the son nor the son the spirit or any other arrangement you can think of yet they are all one god they are distinct three persons one god but here in isaiah 9 6 it says that the name of the son shall be called everlasting father now how can god the son be the everlasting father i thought we just said that god the father is not god the son and vice versa and we did just say that and we will continue to say that because this verse does not say that the son is the father but rather that he is going to play the role of an everlasting father to the people of god Jesus, the Son of God, will be as an everlasting Father to his people. We're not speaking of personhood here, but rather one of the many roles that Jesus will play as the Messiah, the role of an everlasting Father. Now, to really understand this, we need to think about the role of a father, right? A human father. What is the role of a human father? Well, certainly it is to love to care, to guide, to teach, to shepherd, to protect, 
and to provide for his children, and certainly many other things. This is the kind of relationship that this king will have with his people. He will be as a father to them. He will love them and care for them and guide them and shepherd them and protect them and provide for them and teach them. How is Jesus like a father to his people? Listen to these words from Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You see, a good father knows his children and he guides them and cares for them according to his knowledge of them. And in these verses from Psalm 103, it says that Jesus knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. In other words, Jesus knows how emotionally and physically fragile we are living in these bodies that are tainted and stained by sin and all the challenges that come with them. In fact, Jesus knows this so well since he himself put on one of these bodies and experienced everything that we experience. You know what that means? It means that Jesus knows our frame. And so he can look on us with eyes of compassion. He knows that we are dust. He can sympathize with us. He knows where we've been. He has compassion for us because he is intimately familiar with us, with our needs, with our desires, with our temptations. He knows our frame. And so as a good and loving father, he looks on us with eyes of compassion. All you fathers out there, just think of your kids. I know that I'm sure all of your kids are perfect angels and never do anything to upset you. Is that right? Yeah, okay, I'm going to assume your silence is a yes. Okay, uh, then my kids are, are different. <laughs> my kids have some issues, and I, as their father, try to guide them and teach them and protect them and care for them, but it can be frustrating sometimes. But even in those times of frustration, I look upon them with eyes of compassion I don't want them to hurt themselves. I don't want them to get lost in sin and go down the trail that sin leads. So even when they do sin and disobey, I have to correct them, but I do so with eyes of compassion because I know their frame and I love them and I care for them and I want the best for them. So even when they're off the rails, I'm looking at them with eyes of compassion. This is how Jesus looks at his children. Also, a good father provides for his children, and so does Jesus. Here's in, in Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bible open there, look at verse 26. Jesus himself says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, good fathers provide for their children and they see that they are cared for. But sometimes I think, us fathers and or us parents just generally, we have to admit that sometimes we can't give our children all the things that we would want to give them or need to give them even. Sometimes resources run thin and it can be hard to provide everything we want to provide. There are certainly some things that we wish we could give them that we can't. 
You parents out there, can you think of anything that you would want to provide for your children, but for whatever reason you're just not able to? You know what? Jesus has no such limitations. Jesus has the resources to provide food for the 400 billion birds that live on the face of the earth, he says in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus can provide for them. And he is so attentive to detail that he gives each and every individual flower on the earth its distinctive beauty. And he says to his children, you are of so much more value than any of those. I will provide for you. I will see to your needs because I am a good father. Also, Jesus is a good father to his children because he knows how to give them good gifts. Again, in Matthew chapter 7, if you go back to verse 9, he says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, human fathers can give good gifts to their children. But the important thing about these verses is the comparison of a human father's ability to provide for his children as opposed to God's ability to provide for his children. Because Jesus gives this really important qualifier in in these verses. He says, if you then, who are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is your heavenly father, who is not evil, and who is not limited by anything, resources, time, attention, ability, power, anything else, how much more will he be able to give good things to those who ask him? See, good human fathers know how to provide for their children, but even their good intentions are stained with sin, so they can only do so much. But God is not stained with sin, so he can provide for his children in ways that no human father ever could. And we could go on and on and on with a list of fatherly qualities that Jesus demonstrates for his children. The point is that Jesus is the culmination of fatherhood as it relates to his people. He cares for his people in all the ways the best father would care for his children. In fact, all human fathers, we take our cues on what it means to be a good father from the everlasting father. We are to model him in our fatherhood. We are to be a father to our children as he is a father to his children. But now, admittedly, this is where we get a bit tripped up because some of us bristle at the notion of Jesus being a father figure to us because we've had bad experiences with our own fathers. Even the label of father for some people just conjures up so much uh, bad feelings and so many bad memories that it's almost impossible for some people to hear that word father without also having all of this emotional baggage. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've had a bad relationship with your father. Maybe he never provided for you. Maybe he never cared for you or guided you or protected you. Maybe he even hurt you. So for you, the notion of putting your trust in anyone who calls himself father is almost repugnant. And maybe even times like Christmas just bring back some of those feelings to the surface because your relationship with him is so frayed that you don't even get together as a family anymore. So the idea of a father, any father, really brings a bad taste into your mouth. 
I acknowledge that that is the case for some people who are even here in this room or within the sound of my voice. And all I can say to you is that all fathers are sinners. All fathers fail their children in one way or another. Just ask my own children. They can probably give you a whole list of examples of how I have failed them even in this last week. All fathers are sinners and will let you down except one, the everlasting Father. He has lived a life that was totally free from sin. He never harms his children. He guides them perfectly. He cares for them perfectly. He provides for them perfectly. He loves them perfectly. And if you have been burned by your human father in this life, I can understand why you would be reticent to put your trust in a spiritual father. But I can only encourage you to put him to the test. Trust in Jesus to care for you like a good father, maybe the good father you never had. Jesus has promised to do so, and he will never break his word. Put him to the test. See what kind of father he is. And do you want evidence that he is a good father? Well, what holiday are we in the midst of celebrating right now? Of course, Christmas, the first advent of Christ. Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven to come to earth to be a man, to put on the frail robe of flesh that we as humans wear. He left the glory and majesty of heaven to come here for you because he has compassion on you. He left heaven and came earth because he loves you like a father loves his children. And ultimately, he went to the cross to carry your sin, to provide for you as a good father, to provide you with a salvation that you could never hope to earn on your own or figure out on your own. He's guiding you towards that. He has shown you his love and his care for you. And what's most striking about this name for the Messiah that we find in Isaiah 9-6 is that it doesn't just describe Jesus as everlasting or just as father, but as everlasting father. So in Jesus, you have a father who never ceases to care about you, who never ceases to intercede on your behalf, who never ceases working for your good, who never ceases providing you with good gifts. Again, imagine those Israelites as they're carted off to captivity. What a supreme hope they have. What a bright future they ultimately have, even if there are some bumps along the way. They have an everlasting father who will never cease caring about them and working for them even while they're away in captivity. Maybe you feel as, you've, as though you're being carried away into captivity this Christmas, maybe emotionally or relationally or even physically, maybe just generally from everything that has happened in this last year of 2020. Listen to me. You have an everlasting father who is watching over you. And he is ready and eager to provide and care for you and to guide you. And even if you have to go through 70 years of captivity, he will be there on the other end. And even if that captivity kills you, he will still be there interceding on your behalf for the rest of eternity and for all who would call out on his name. I want to encourage you to call out to your everlasting Father. Put your trust in Him and see His salvation. Experience it for yourself firsthand 
by turning from your sin and putting your trust in him in all the ways that he has cared for you. He's a good, good father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. Lord, we thank you that you are the eternal God, that there is nothing that can stop you, nothing that could ever hinder you from being faithful to your promises, nothing that could ever prevent you from being there, uh, coming to the aid of your children. Lord, you are ultimately and completely capable and able. God, I ask for those who are in some way or form this morning who need a good father, who need to know the love and care and concern and guidance of a father. Lord, come to them this morning. Help them to know that you are here with them. Lord, help them to see and receive your guidance. Help them to follow you where you lead. God, we thank you again that you would deign to come to earth to prove how much you love us and care for us. God, may we not lose that example, that evidence, that, that knowledge of your love and your care and concern. Instead, Lord, may we respond to it, especially this time of year at Christmas when we are so focused on, on what you have done. Lord, help us to know and respond to this truth that you are our everlasting Father. God, we thank you for being there for us, and we look forward to your guidance in the future. And we pray these things in the name of our everlasting Father, Jesus. Amen. Please stand.